We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, Senior Editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our lead college football writer at SportingNews.com. Uh, we thank all of our subscribers on the CFB Nation feed and uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, plus our YouTube subscribers of the CFB Nation channel. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Irish Breakdown, great broad, great podcast and Website for all things Notre Dame football. Uh, Bill, you'll be on uh, uh, Irish Breakdown uh, later on today, apparently, um, as a guest uh, with Brian Driscoll, which will be fun. Uh, we are now under 100 days until kickoff, a mere 13 weeks until week zero. And you know what I just realized, Bill? Two teams that I have connections to. I went to Vanderbilt, um, kind of follow the Commodores. And, uh, of course, my, my brother went to Notre Dame, uh, played lacrosse there. And um, those are the two teams I kind of, you know, have connections to keep an eye on. And they're both playing in week zero. Nice. Notre Dame is playing in uh, Ireland against Navy, of course, uh, and maybe the marquee week zero game. And then um, Vanderbilt is on the back end of a home and home with Hawaii. They uh, played out there for week zero last year and now uh, not as exciting for for Nashville people that uh, the second half of that game will be week zero this year. Uh, in Nashville. Um, so I will have two teams to pay attention to on week zero. How about that? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Yeah, and your brother should be hyped that Notre Dame made the lacrosse final four. Uh the Cavanaugh brothers carried them in and as you know, I've get, got into that sport a little bit. So uh, the ACC, I mean, there's not a, there should be ACC chance across all these lacrosse campuses, the way they're dominating that tournament. Yeah, there's no doubt. He's very excited about that. He's, uh, they've come close to national championships here and there, never quite uh, broken through. They got a big challenge, I guess, in the semifinal against Virginia. Virginia has beaten them twice this year already. So um, might be tough for them to break through, but uh, he's certainly hoping hoping they do. Um, so today we're going to talk a little uh, UConn and the uh, the talk that Brett Yormack wants to get him into the Big Twelve. We're going to talk a little bit about um, Michigan's latest mess messiness. Uh, the M for Michigan could stand for mess uh, over the past you know twelve to eighteen months, and then uh, of course. Uh, some news came out on ESPN through Pete Thamel's great reporting um, on the Big Ten's TV deal that Kevin Warren uh, negotiated. $7 billion was the headline. Uh, he didn't get quite get uh, far enough into the details, it seems. So we will talk about that, too. But I want to kick it off with UConn, and I'm going to kick it off with Trochi Trivia a little early. In the okay. Show, uh, having to, to do with UConn uh, in the... Uh, after the 2010 season, UConn went to the Fiesta Bowl where they played Oklahoma. Oklahoma rolled past UConn 48-20. to I'll give you a little bit of an easy one. Who was Oklahoma's quarterback that pounded UConn in the 2010 Fiesta Bowl? See if you can know. Mm-hmm. See if you can name Oklahoma's quarterback. So we'll get to that. But first, yeah, let's talk a little UConn. And, um, you know, they're obviously coming off the national uh, championship in basketball. Uh, everything seems well. There was lots of stories about how the Big East took a chance 10 years ago, uh, you know, starting a league with no football revenue and, uh, you know, a bunch of like, like schools. And, you know, there's 11 schools in that conference right now. They've done very, very well basketball-wise. The Fox contract ended up, you know, propelling the league forward a little bit. And uh, UConn is on top of the world. They had a dominant run through the NCAA tournament. They are preseason number one next year in a few places. Um, And, you know, out of the blue, (laughs) we read that UConn or the Big 12 wants UConn and UConn isn't totally shutting it down, shutting that talk down. Um, So, you know, on the court, does this make sense in either direction? Not really. On the field, Football field, not really. On the balance sheets, 
Maybe so. What, what what have you researched on this? I mean, I disagree. I mean, because it starts, you're, you're doing it in reverse order. It makes sense from a money standpoint for starters, and <laughs> that's what matters. So, hey, you know, in that reporting, I you know they the revenue that the Big Ten and the SEC is over fifty million that they're getting, and UConn got three point five million. Right there is where we could stop the the debate because that's why they're going to end up doing it if they have the opportunity. Um, because it gives them a big school budget. Um, basketball, I would say yes and no, it doesn't. It makes sense and it doesn't. I mean, on one hand, you're in the Big East. You came from a – you just won a national championship. Obviously, the UConn basketball brand is probably more closely tied with those Catholic schools that they play in the Big East. But Big 12 is the best basketball conference in the country right now. So it why is. not – yeah. It is. It is. But the, I guess – you really got to understand how UConn fans feel about the Big East and how happy they were to get right. back there, how much they love playing at Madison Square Garden, how much they love the Big East tournament. And now that they're on top of the world, they're like, why would we ever leave this right. situation? We got a young coach. We got a good coach. Uh, he's brash. And we're back. And, you know, the glory days of the 80s when the t- program really took off are here again. And suddenly I'm going to go to an Iowa state on a Wednesday night. That is going to, the fan base is just not going to be happy about that at all. The recruiting, uh, you know, the, the recruiting imprint, you know, their home ground is going to be the Northeast and it's going to be new England. And again, it's a little bit more difficult to sell um, when you're facing a big 12 schedule and you're competing with Kansas and and Oklahoma state. Um, You know, the, the big 12, He's ambitious, right? I mean, he right. wants to to take over the world. Uh, I wish, and, and, and it's a possibility. I, you know, a, a, a basketball school that would make sense out of region for them would be Gonzaga. Right. We've talked about that a little bit. They don't bring a football program into the mix, so there's no pushback about you know Texas Tech having to go to Spokane and play some random right. team. They're not going to want to go to Hartford and play UConn. Um, you know, so from the fans' perspective, that's tough. Um, you know, UConn football, they had a good season last year. You know, especially they came in, Jim Moore comes in after team goes 1-11. and 11, Right. And uh, they get to 6-6. Six and six. You look at it a little closer, you know, the six wins. They beat Fresno State, which was a very good win. Fresno State had 10 wins. The rest of it, kind of shaky. Uh Boston College looks good on paper, but really they were three and nine. Jerkovic didn't play against UConn. Um, so, you know, they beat UMass. They went one and 11. They beat FIU, who went four and eight. So, not the strongest uh, six and six. They lost their bowl game. Um, you know, tremendous accomplishment. I'm happy for them, obviously. Uh, but I, I don't, you know, if they went to the Big 12, they would get slaughtered based, you know, one of their best seasons. Yeah five or six years and they went into the big 12, it would be, you know, lights out. So, um, but yeah, you, you want to talk about the balance sheet or I can talk about the balance sheet. That's that's slaughtered by Iowa state slaughtered by who? Like when Oklahoma and Texas leaves, you don't think UConn football could compete if they put more into it with Iowa state with Texas tech. I, I I don't know. So I'll tell you this nine seasons in the big East, 23 players were drafted, 60 and 51 record, went to the Fiesta Bowl, like you mentioned, 
the football, then this was one of those success stories like App State. They were playing in the FCS and they quickly made the adjustment. And you thought maybe this is a football program. I remember watching the Michigan game, which was probably their biggest game at home. Now that's the problem. They have a 40,000 seat stadium. You've got to invest more if you want to be in the power five. But I mean, to say that they couldn't compete with the Iowa States and, you know, the the Oklahoma States and, and I mean, Cincinnati and UConn played in the Big East. Houston, they, they could compete with those schools on the football field if they put more into the program. I mean, they have no recruiting footprint and no recruiting tradition. And they put, like I said, they put 23 players drafted over nine years in the Big East. So they once you have that Big 12 label, you can find guys. I, I mean, Donald Brown, maybe, Jordan Tobin, they were players. Maybe, so, maybe. so I think it comes down to the money. So the the maybe the the meet meet you in the middle is maybe they try to be a football only member, try something like that. I, I mean, and stay in the ba- Big East in basketball because of their identity. I get all that with the identity of being an East Coast school and basketball first. I understand that, but I also understand that the women haven't won a national championship since 2016. And women's basketball is no longer UConn and everybody else. It's just not like that anymore. It's more competitive across the board. I mean, you think about it, they lost to Ohio State this year. And it's they're not invincible anymore. And the basketball program, we had this conversation in March, Bill, where are they a blue blood? Are they not? Because they pop up every five years. So, I mean, to me, I, I it there would be an allure of playing in the Big 12 if it becomes the basketball super conference with Kansas and Gonzaga and Cincinnati and and that. But I do understand their Big East ties and and being in love with playing Georgetown and a very good basketball conference on its own. Right. So here are the specifics on the money situation. Yeah, you said 3.5 or 4 million roughly, whatever it is, uh, from Fox uh, and the current media deal. And then, you know, NCAA tournament wins, I think I read, are roughly worth a million dollars per win uh, during the during the tournament. So the Big East won 15 games this year with UConn winning six of them. Um, that's another 15 million divided by 11 schools, another about one and a half million or so. So we're looking around five, five and a half. Um, this, this current deal with Fox, which likely will be renewed, I think both sides are happy. Uh, it expires in 2025. That number may jump maybe up to even 8 million a school before the NCAA tournament money. So, you know, if you count a little count on some tournament money, maybe you can get up to 10 million a year. Now 10 million a year does not compare to 30 million a year at the big 12. Um, they are running a, uh, UConn is currently running a $53 million deficit in the athletics department right now. It's covered by the school and student fees, and it, it just continues to grow. They're, they're trying to pay it down, and it continues to grow. Um, and so if I'm the athletic director and I'm charged with, you know, I have an offer for $30 million, that's just an easy out that, you know, they're struggling to figure out how to make ends meet on the balance sheet for sure. Um, so that's the allure there of, um, you know, the Big 12 probably makes a lot of NCAA tournament money too because they have so many good teams basketball wise. Um, so I can see it. Um, I would feel bad. One option Pat 40 threw out there was that UConn drops FBS football 
and cuts their costs that way becomes like the other 10 Big East schools. UConn is the only Big East school that is trying to go FBS in football. They're independent, of course. They don't have a conference, difficult scheduling, difficult recruiting. Um, So maybe that's an option too. What would you think about that? Villanova has an FCS program. Georgetown has an FCS program. Um, You know, that you don't necessarily have to go FBS if it's killing you and you're a basketball first school and you won the national championship in basketball. Maybe that's something you look at. Maybe. I mean, but they, yeah, then you got to go tell those 85 kids, Hey, your career here's done. I mean, so I, and that's UAB did that, I suppose, but that was not well received. I mean, that would be an option because then you can just push all in on being a basketball school. But if you're going to have a football program in the FBS, this is the way to do it. I mean, right. that's like, you've got, that's why I think that's an option. Big 12 football only members, an option and big 12 all the way is an option. So, to, and, and in realignment, we cannot rule anything out. So, I mean, again, I just, the thing I took from looking at their big East football track record, I was like, that wasn't bad. That wasn't a bad run. They, they had built, the, if the idea is to build your football program and do what they did, then they succeeded to a point until Edsel left and then it fell off. So you either have to commit to it or not. You can't run, uh, I I was going to use a different word, but a half in FBS program. You have to be either in or out. So, I mean, it's not a novelty thing. Football certainly isn't a novelty. And it's like anything else. If you get the right coach, you got a shot. Jim Moore apparently was the right guy at the right time. Um, if he has another successful year, I'm guessing he will move on, but, uh, it's up to you to find the next good coach. Right. So, um, and then you can keep it going. So, yeah, I mean, it is viable. I don't know. Um, I don't know how much value UConn brings to the big 12, not football wise, basketball, certainly. And then getting, you know, his global uh, conquering <laughs> mission of, of going coast to coast uh, for, for the big 12 would, would accomplish that as well. So um, anyway, all right, tro- Trochi trivia answer before we move on to our next segment, uh, 2010 Fiesta Bowl. We just talked about it. They lost to Oklahoma 48, 20. Who was OU's QB? He went on to the NFL. Went on to the NFL. Well, then you gave it away. Cause I was going to say a guy that, that didn't, go to the NFL. So I think it's probably Landry Jones at this point. You got it. Landry yeah. Jones it is. So I've seen, I, I was going to guess Thompson who played, but I think I'm off a year on that one. And I was considering Blake Bell. So when you said Landry or NFL, it has to be Landry Jones at that point. <laughs> so we got it. Good, good. You got a 30. He was 34 for 49, 429 yards and three touchdowns. Oklahoma that was won. not much of a game. So as much <laughs> as I tried to make this case for UConn, I remember watching that game and knowing it was going to be a slaughter, and it was. Yeah, it was 48-20. UConn had a pick six and a kickoff return for a touchdown and still lost by four touchdowns. Right. So that, uh, Yeah, they were not able to line up 11 and on 11 against Oklahoma. No. And, you know, but again, you know, football, football makes athletic departments and schools – do some really dumb things, which we're going to talk about next. All right, let's move on to Michigan um, and their latest fun with uh, Shemi Schembechler, 
who had a, uh, a brief run, let's say, as the assistant director of recruiting for Michigan, hired on Wednesday, the day after we did our podcast. Uh, he had resigned on Saturday. So his, his, uh, his reign with the Wolverines uh, on Jim Harbaugh's staff uh, lasted less than uh, the week we do between our podcasts here. Uh, he was he resigned on Saturday, quote unquote, resigned following a host of likes uh, on his Twitter account that were revealed that were very racist and offensive. Uh, the tweets started to be deleted over the course of those two days as fans and others began posting them. And then his Twitter account was deactivated. And then Saturday, it was announced by Jim Harbaugh and Ward Manuel that Schembechler had resigned. The official statement coming from Harbaugh and Manuel said, we are aware of some comments and likes on social media that have caused concern and pain for individuals in our community. Michigan Athletics is fully committed to a place where our coaches, staff, and student athletes feel welcome and where we fully support the university's and athletic department's commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, I didn't see anything about we totally screwed this up in that statement, but... um, you know, just another mess for Michigan. Where's the background check here, Bill? I mean, that's what that, that would have been real easy. Um, the peculiar hire, like as soon as I saw it, I just said, well, that's interesting. Um, you know, but I, it's it's something that they, they did quickly and it shows the power of social media and making sure that you watch what you like, watch what you tweet, watch what you say. I mean, the absurdity of liking some of those tweets that I saw, I mean, everybody's has an opinion on that. It should be, that's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, a peculiar move for Jim Harbaugh, but I'm going to say it this way. I think a very s- small thing is this, the, it's just another part of this Schimbeckler. And I, and I know you, you've got this written out on the next part, but with Schimbeckler, there's, it's a tough legacy right now because of what's happened with the allegations of sexual abuse of the former team doctor, Robert Anderson, against the fact that he still has a statue in front of Schimbeckler Hall and built this program. So it's, it's something that Jim Harbaugh is fiercely loyal to Schimbeckler because he played for him. But at the same time, I, I think the better move was to distance himself on some level from that, because they haven't torn the statue down. They haven't. Then I don't think they're going to. I don't. It's just a really messy situation with no right answer right now. I mean, they, they, they've gone through all those things. But the right answer certainly wasn't hire someone without doing a background check who has tweets that are about Jim Crow. And, yeah, it's Bo Schembechler's son. Right. And, uh, you know. We, it's September that Michigan paid $490 million settlement to the more than 1,000 survivors uh, of Dr. Robert Anderson. You mentioned the team doctor. Allegations that Schembechler was told of the abuse and did not address it. Uh, wasn't 100% proven here and there. Hard to believe. Schembechler did not know when the numbers are that high and, you know, People, I wouldn't think, are motivated to lie and say that he did know. Um, he's not around, obviously, to defend himself. But, um, yeah, hiring his son, who does not have a career in college football, 
um, just very, very curious. And, uh, you know, just this pattern of weirdness at Michigan <clears throat> over the last 12 to 18 months. I mean, a hockey coach is fired for a toxic culture that included mistreatment of women and then was welcomed back post-firing to attend hockey games and watch his former players. He was interviewed on the Big Ted Network during a game um, after he was fired. Uh, defensive tackle Mazzy Smith is charged with a gun felony in October, was not suspended. Um, Harbaugh had that weird level one recruiting violation. He never totally got the bottom of it. Seemed trumped up in January. <laughs> the offensive coordinator, Matt Weiss, was fired in January for, quote, computer access crimes. Um, and then it wasn't this season, but last season, the basketball coach threw a punch at another coach, right? <laughs> Right. I mean, these just weird things keep happening at Michigan. Um, you know, two spectacular football seasons back to back. But you know, what, what's where's Ward Manuel? What, what's what's his uh, situation right now? Is he on shaky ground? Should he be? I mean, you've got connections to that program. No, he won't be. I mean, because this is college sports. The 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 success on the field is what trumps everything until something happens that trumps that and none of these things trump that they've won back-to-back big 10 championships the talk in ann arbor is not about mazzy smith or no it's that's why i mean of all those things you just listed off really the only one that's on jim harbaugh is the latest one i mean he didn't suspend mazzy smith and there's some things around that but there was never you know he was that's on the prosecutor. You could put that on them. Um, the the level one recruiting violation. I mean, I remember reading that story. It was about a hamburger. I don't think Jim Harbaugh cares. Not in the NIL era now. I don't think any of that matters. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ward Manuel. It's there was. I think if anything, it was that relationship that that was leading to Jim Harbaugh flirting with the NFL. That's what people cared about the most, unfortunately, whether that's right or wrong. And he's back in Ann Arbor. He's got a loaded roster. I don't think anybody's going to be thinking about him hiring Shemmy Schembechler when they play. I think they open with like East Carolina um, and another week non-conference schedule that they have. So, yeah, I mean, but if this pattern continues – And it will eventually lead to something where you do get fired. So, yeah, yeah, there is a lot of cleanup to do from that end. I mean, like you said, I mean, if it was just one isolated incident, um, you kind of like push it aside. But this is this has gone to the pattern. Chris Vanini did a good job in the athletic. I mean, he asked some simple questions. He's like, did you do a background check? Yes or no. If you didn't do a background check. What are you doing? If you did do a background check and you discovered it and hired him anyway, what are you doing? If you did a background check and you didn't discover it again, what are you doing? Like there's no good answer in any, any scenario as to how this, this happened. And it's on Harbaugh's watch and it's on Manuel's watch, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the Jim Harbaugh does do things his way. He doesn't, he's, he's always done that. This one was the first, like I said, the rest of those things aren't necessarily that bad it's not his fault an assistant coach broke into a computer you know so um but this one yeah he'll probably have to explain it away i mean but jim harbaugh somebody i'm gonna tell you right now when they ask him about it he'll stand by it just like he still stands by bo schimbeckler when that was going down he said you know 
and how he stood by his views on abortion. When people asked him about that at Big Ten Media Day, he is not going to say what the media wants him to say. He's going to say what Jim Harbaugh says. And sometimes that gets him in trouble. Sometimes it doesn't. And I think at this point in time, he's probably going to take less fire for it because he's won back-to-back Big Ten championships. That's how it works. All right, finally we will get into the news that Pete Thamel broke on uh, last week for ESPN on the Big Ten media deal. Uh, Kevin Warren, uh, he's in the news again. You know, Apparently there were some details he didn't quite iron out before uh, announcing a $1 billion a year media rights deal in August and then uh, leaving for the Chicago Bears in January. Among those details, it's selling the big t- uh, the 2026 Big Ten championship game to NBC was not his to sell. Uh, <laughs> and also promising night games to NBC in November, uh, the primetime slot, which is uh, something Big Ten schools have traditionally not done. Um, as a result, new commissioner Tony Patetti, who came in looking like the Big Ten was in very, very solid shape, and he just needed to usher in the USC UCLA era, uh, figure out NIL among other things. Now he's got to really, um, put the finishing touches and, and do some horse trading. I believe was the, the, the quote in the, in, uh, Pete's story, uh, to make things right. Um, I think $70 million is going to, uh, come off the deal, uh, because of, like I said, the, the big 10 championship belongs to the Big Ten Network, not the Big Ten Conference. And the Big Ten Network is owned by Fox. So the it, Fox was not going to sell the Big Ten Championship game to NBC. Um, so it's going to cost about $5 million a school. Is that a ton? Not really. We're talking $80 million a year. But, you know, it's something. And it, it talks really to the, you know, whispers that Kevin Warren did not have good relationships with the schools throughout his tenure. Um, you know, so what are your thoughts basically on, on the big 10 championship game, which, you know, not a big deal, I don't think, but, um, something that does touch the fans. And I think that will touch will the fans will care about is these November night games. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that stood out among it. I mean, the Kevin Warren relationship with big 10 schools, none of that's shocking to me. Um, there was still hard feelings about the way the season was handled during COVID, uh, you know, how they pulled the plug, then didn't pull the plug. And I mean, that's still talked about around here when you bring up Kevin Warren. And as you know, I live in Columbus. Um, it was like that in Lincoln. And then they have a short season and, and lost money that way. Uh, but it, the night games is a thing. And, and I'm the, they called it tolerances in the article. They, they weren't going to play home number games. I know they don't like it at Ohio State. I know they don't like it at Michigan. I mean, Michigan has played 13 night games at home in the school's history. So, I mean, it, it was a thing when they, they did it at 2011. Ohio State's played 27 night games at home, and I think the first one was in the 90s. And, and the reason, some of the reason for this, like I talked to SEC and ACC school people about this, and they act like, well, what's the big deal? I'll say, well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. One, it's a little bit colder up here in November. Two, um, the night games were treated as like special occasions, like Ohio State, Penn State, a whiteout. That's a special occasion. Ohio State, Michigan State on November 11th, not a special occasion. Um, Ohio State playing Toledo in a night game, 
they, they, I'm telling you, the, the just fan interest in that isn't the same. Um, so they like playing at noon. I think that's one of the things Fox had success with, with the big noon kickoff. And they like that 330 spot. But November night games also because the marquee game on the schedule is a noon game between Ohio State and Michigan. They don't want to play a primetime game. Neither one of them will ever agree to play a primetime game the week before that game. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think from my perspective a little bit, I mean, you're a Packers guy. Right. They play Sunday night football in November and December. They play AFC champion, or, I'm sorry, NFC championship games in, in January at nighttime. It's a pretty cool atmosphere. I don't love the weather argument necessarily. Right. I mean, it's not every week that everybody would be playing at night. Um, it is interesting and it is a tradition, but you know, I, I don't, I don't understand the resistance when you're getting a big check for it. Um, you know, it's a little inconvenient on fans. It's been that way forever. Right. right. I mean, the Alabama fan, the, the SEC, the ACC, they've been playing at night forever. It's a nightmare for the fans to get home after the game. No question about it. And a big 10 fan, of course, they want to, Go at noon, be home by, you know, 530 or whatever after the game, or even if you live an hour or two hours away, which a lot of fans do. Um, but I don't know. I just think the money justifies uh, having a night game. I don't think the weather is that much of an issue. I mean, it's cold at noon. It's cold at night um, for these guys. So, you know, as a college football fan, I'm a little excited about having, you know, potentially more exciting night games this year penn state and michigan state have agreed to play on black friday night uh, right. i don't remember a black friday night game um that would draw my interest so they are being painted as you know swallowing uh something they don't want to do um you know to help out the the league and not have to give money back to the contract and stuff and ohio state i think is playing michigan state and on november 11th which is uh it's a Saturday night, um, not like a Thursday night or something like that, but it's a Saturday night. It's the latest in the season in the history of Ohio State football. The home game would be at night uh, on November 11th. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm glad they're swallowing it. They 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 can grumble, but um, I think it's good for the league. I think it's good for college football. I, I mean, yeah, again, well, we've disagreed twice. I just <laughs> you're not you're, but you don't live up here. Big Ten fans, we don't like it. We just don't. And I, I mean, you're not like you've worked with me long enough. You're probably not going to change my mind on it because we don't we like we're set in our ways. I bet if you talk to a lot of Ohio State fans, they're not going to be excited about going to see Michigan State on November 11th at eight when they could watch that game at noon. I'm just telling you, that's like our brains are wired a little bit differently. If I, I bet you if you ask 10 Big Ten fans, what's the ideal spot for a Big Ten game? Seven of them will say noon. Six at least. Two will say, I'd say 60. I'm going to do that poll. I'm going to go because I got my boys got practice tonight. I'm going to ask all these Ohio State fans at practice, say, best one. I'll get you 20. And most will say noon or 3.30. They treat the, the night games are inconvenient, especially. I mean, I get you on the weather. But, again, I would challenge an Alabama fan. All right, come up here and play in 20-degree weather and tell me it doesn't feel different when that face mask is in your forearm. Maybe so, we'll get that. Maybe we'll get that. Yeah, maybe. Oh, we won't. On we won't we'll have a night game in Michigan yeah. with Alabama on the road. I can't wait till Iowa makes the playoff and 
you know, Ole Miss or whoever goes, has to go up to Kinnick and, oh, the weather's not a big deal. Yeah, okay. You tell me when that first face mask goes in the forearm that, that it's not a little bit different getting hit in the cold. So um, it, it's uh, – but November anymore, I mean, it's not as cold as it used to be in November up here, but that's – I'm not getting into a global warming debate on this podcast. Um, so, you sure? You sure? Yeah, you I really don't want to get into that. Uh, you don't want to hear my weather theory. Um right now so it's, it just yeah, it's it, the off season now's the time for it yeah. <laughs> it's like the weather the calendar in ohio at least i feel like everything's been pushed like may is now <laughs> april so that but that's my own theory but anyway i i just we don't i'm gonna i'll get you an answer by next week i'll go pull 20 people at practice okay and say what's your ideal big 10 viewing window and i'm guaranteeing there'll be very few primetime votes. And I, you know, that doesn't surprise me. I just get a, I don't know. feel like you got to get over it. Big 10 fans. Gotta get over it. What is your ideal Patriots window for NFL? Four o'clock. There you go. It's not primetime. Nobody likes yeah. watching pri- their team in primetime. Unless true. they're there. That's true. Um, so one last thing. What, what's your view of, of Warren? Um, and it's like, so the cancellation, uncancellation in 2020. He brought in USC and UCLA. That I don't think that's overly popular necessarily, even within the Big Ten. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, and then this seven billion dollar deal, which you know, that's going to obviously put the league in a great spot for a long time. Uh, but even then, there seems to be some holes in that. Yeah, complicated because, like I said, I don't hold anything on the COVID season against anybody because yeah, I remember pushing through that and being like the whole country is living day to day. And I don't think any, I, so I'm not going to get into him pulling the season. I do know that some people hold that against him. I don't, I, I will say at the media days, he was the master of not answering a question. You would at the, at the, the veil, the podium availability, he it was long winded and he never really gave true answers. I think USC and UCLA is two TBD. From a financial standpoint, I think it's good because it shows where the game's going and at least they got ahead of it. Um, And and then with these TV contracts, it's also TBD. I'm not opposed. I am excited in some ways for Big Ten on NBC. You know, I think they did add Josh Perry. And that's, by the way, one of the better up and coming analysts in the game. Uh, So that's good. Like you said, I'm probably just going to have to swallow it and reevaluate how we watch football but that's everything like the entire game but and Kevin Warren did some good but he did it in a way that alienated the Ohio State's Nebraska's Michigan's and you can't do that you can't alienate if you're a conference commissioner and you alienate your biggest brands you're going to be in trouble and he did that right off the bat right right like Mike DeCourcy our colleague would argue they don't have to do what Ohio State and Michigan does. And I'm like, they kind of do. I mean, you kind of there, – there are certain schools in the room that have more power than others. And it works like that in every conference. I would say the SEC is a little bit different, but not really. Do you think they're not going to do what Alabama, Florida, and, uh, you know, the Georgias want to do? Of course, those guys are going to have more more weight in the room. Right, right. So we'll see what Tony Patetti's got. Um, if he irons this thing out and then, uh, you know, makes the transition 
with USC and UCLA smooth, then uh, he will certainly be off to a good start. Um, all right. Well, that's it for this week. We will wait your poll results eagerly for next week. Oh, yeah. See fans think, although I have a feeling we already know the answer to that. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week to the CFB Nation All-America podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you next week.